Tonight's show is sponsored by Kathy. Hey, that's me. This is Goofy. No, it's great. You are the sponsor tonight. Uh, she makes the coffee that keeps us going. See, that sounded great. <laughs> it still needs some work, Jerry. I'm going to go make some coffee. I still think it sounded goofy. High on a mountainside near the asylum in the ghost town of Jerome, Arizona, you are listening to Jerry and Kathy Wilkes. You don't know why. Comments and views expressed on The Jerry Wills Show are those of the people that make them and do not necessarily reflect those of Jerry Wills, The Jerry Wills Show, the affiliates or sponsors, or Channel U. Another edition of the Jerry Wills Show. We have a very, very interesting show for you this time. Our guest is Eric Extreme. I'm going to have him tell you about himself. There's a lot, lot to know. Uh, but in a nutshell, Eric is a paranormal researcher <clears throat> with a scientific bend. Instead of uh, just expecting things to always be paranormal, Eric is looking for reasons, scientific reasons, why things might be happening. And I guarantee you, these are events that when he's found the answers are really quite surprising. You're not going to miss any of this. I've had a few conversations with Eric, <clears throat> and I found him to be... Uh, Truly a remarkable individual, very interesting, very smart. He's been doing this for a while, but like I said, we're going to have him tell you about that. Um, so without any further delay, let me bring Eric on. I'd like for you to meet this fellow. Hello, Eric. How are you? Hey, Jerry. I'm fine. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. I'm excited to have you on here. I'm really excited to hear what you have to tell everyone. Um, I'm, you know, always interested in the paranormal. I have a, a bit of a background in that myself. And, you know, very similar to you. I don't like to just take what happens at face value. I like to dig beneath the surface to find if there are any reasonable answers. The things that might be causing an event to appear to be paranormal. And I know from our conversations, that's where you are as well. But before we jump into that, why don't you tell folks a bit about yourself? Um, how did you get started in this? Um, what is the path you took? All right, so I live in North Conway, New Hampshire, originally from Worcester, Massachusetts. And from a young age, I was experiencing some interesting um, situations going on. Primarily, it was happening in my bedroom um, upon um, trying to fall asleep at night. Once I finally got relaxed, I started noticing that I was almost having, I don't want to call them visions because that's not appropriate for the term, but I started almost sensing things. And in time, I realized that I was having a form of pareidolia. Um, later in life, I found out I had a form of neuropathy called tactile um, hyperstasia, which is basically where your nervous system overreacts to things. And basically what was happening from a young age is I had been, you know, having these senses or visions of like shadows. And 
it, it really interested me because I didn't believe anything was there. But as as an adult or even as a teenager, but in my younger age, I kept telling my mother that I was sensing aliens or I was feeling aliens. And, you know, she started bringing me to uh, mental doctors and they were saying, nope, nothing's wrong with this guy. There's something going on. They just don't know what. Um, but it wasn't until later in life that I found out that I had this form of neuropathy. But basically what was happening is, is this house had old wiring and it was having a lot of uh, EMF um, that was almost forming a soup in my room due to a fuse box that was uh, in an adjacent room. And my body nervous system was being overstimulated by this EMF. And then so the pareidolia started where I started sensing what I believe to at the time as a young age that, you know, they were aliens. When it turns out, it was just a form of pareidolia, which means your mind is basically matrixing something or trying to make sense of the confusion for example for those people who are from my age in the 40s or you know perhaps in their 30s if they remember as a young child we had um televisions and you could you know find a channel where there wasn't anything being broadcasted and you could see the static if you looked at the static long enough your mind um the part of your mind called the fusiform which uh, recognizes various forms would start um, almost painting a picture for you so you might start seeing like faces or words in the static. It's the same uh, scenario when you're looking at clouds. Um, you can see, you know, you, you try and make photos in your mind or you can see images of, say, bunny rabbits in the clouds. It's basically the same thing. And as it got older, you know, I had better uh, experience dealing with what was going on with my scenario and it got me interested into doing research on the whole phenomenon and it kind of just started bleeding over into the paranormal you know this is before the time of the paranormal television shows um, which really only started beginning about 15 years ago so this is going back about 15 years before that so i remember as a young age in elementary school you know i went to a pretty large school for, you know in the city so we had a pretty elaborate library and a city library nearby and i started getting these paranormal books you know, some of them were, were fictional stories about ghost hunting and horror and that sort of thing. But there was also the nonfiction books that, you know, were more uh, recounts of people's various stories. And that kind of fueled it a little bit for me. Um, it just continued with my research. And about 14 years ago, give or take, um, one of my buddies had been involved uh with a group of friends who, it turns out one of them had started what they had claimed to be a paranormal investigation group. And I'm like, hey, you know, why don't I uh, get in, you know, get involved with that? You know, I've always been a skeptic, even though I, you know, had my own instances, I kind of came up with scientific reasons for what was going on. So I, I joined this group and I enjoyed my time with them. However, I realized very quickly um, they were pretty much just mimicking what they had found on the Ghost Hunters television show. Um, no real science involved, and I'm not saying anything against the people from Ghost Hunters. I actually will get to that in a moment. I ended up working with them for a period of time. But I got involved with this group, and very quickly I realized I wanted more. I wasn't looking for the ghost hunting. I wasn't looking for just the paranormal. I needed something more in-depth. Um, I've always been a science-y type person. I'm really interested in the, you know, the who's, what, when, where, why's, and how's versus just the entertainment aspect. So I decided to start my own group, and I put together a group. There was about seven of us, and um, I passed on my knowledge to my team of what we were doing. Um, and we focused more on trying to find scientific explanation versus going for the spooky. So while most teams at that point were running around with um, K2 meters and you know anything that could pick up EMF, because at that time they were often used as ghost detectors, you know, perceivably, um, they and my team, we would use you know, various forms of real-type monitors, like uh, gas monitors. And um, we would use EMF detectors, but to try and find um, areas where there was an abundance of EMF, we weren't using them as ghost detectors. And back then, I was younger, had a lot less money, didn't have a lot of money for equipment. 
Um, but beginning at that time, I should say even 10 years before that, I was involved with a, an astronomical organization being, you know, the sciencey guy. And um, there's a lot of people with a, a lot of extra letters at the end of their name because they have advanced college degrees who are involved with this group. And they didn't realize that I was asking them stuff for my paranormal investigations at the time. And I bounce a lot of ideas off of them to try and figure out why these certain things are happening. I mean, we're talking about, you know, those doctor, there was a physicist, geologist. Um, needless to say, I pursued that for a while. And I remember one time in particular, this is maybe about 10, 11 years ago, one of my team members and I decided to, you know, pay the fee and go to one of these Ghost Hunter sponsored events. It wasn't officially a product of the television show or their production company. It was kind of a, a side hustle for some of their members to make some extra income. But they were able to use the Ghost Hunters and Ghost Hunters International name. And we went in there with more scientific equipment than almost anyone who had gone to this event. And I remember during the event, I was off in the corner with one of my buddies. We were doing a, a, an experiment um, with sound. And Barry Fitzgerald, who was the lead investigator of Ghost Hunters International, came over and was inquiring to what we were doing. Because unlike what you see on the television shows, Barry's actually really big into the science. We still keep in contact. I was actually just talking to him recently um, on another show. But he um, pulled us aside and um, offered us some um, experiments that he was partaking in with a college out in the UK. But for the rest of that event, he actually had asked us to act as like a lead. They uh, were a little short on staff and more people came to the event than they expected. So my buddy and I were leading these investigations. After the event, I was asked to, work, to return to lead investigations on some subsequent um, investigations. And uh, I kept up with that for a while. Um, then some things happened behind the scenes and I decided I wanted to go off into a different avenue. Um, I won't, you know, publicly smudge anyone for decisions that were made, but it was going in a direction that I was not comfortable with. So I just continued to do my own thing. Um, about five years ago, I moved to New Hampshire. Um, I actually had gotten involved very heavily with a full-time job. Um, I was a manager for Walgreens. I also do some project management. So while I kept up on my studies, um, trying to pay attention to science, and I didn't do empirical um, investigations for quite some time. And um, earlier last year, um, due to making some smarter financial decisions, um, I was able to retire and I had a lot of time on my hands. And, um, you know, I have other hobbies, including radio communications, astronomy, you know, I had joined the fire department, but it didn't take up a lot of my time. And so I figured I'd really go uh, dive in the deep end with the paranormal again, because I always enjoyed it. And part of the reason I had gotten out of it um, regularly is there were teams popping up on every street corner, basically due to the plethora of television shows. And, you know, I, I commend anyone who wants to get into the field. Um, but there was a situation where there were so many groups and a lot of these people were just your entertainment variety, ghost hunters. There was no real science involved. So there was a bit of a reputation building not only where I lived in Massachusetts, but up here, up in here in New Hampshire, there's a local group that does recreational ghost hunting. So anytime I would start to put myself out there, um, I wasn't taken seriously. And understandably so, there is a stigma on the paranormal field for those who aren't really deeply involved with it just because of all the cinematic productions that you see in the TV and movies. But I figured about a year ago, um, I would start producing a podcast and blog to help those who were interested in going beyond the uh, entertainment variety of ghost hunting that you see on TV. People who want to learn the who's, what's, where's, why's, and how's. And, um, you know, I, I've found that although it's a bit of a niche following, that there are those out there who are very interested, such as yourself, Jerry, um, who are interested in this level of science. And although my my audience isn't remotely as big as yours. Um, those people who do follow my podcast and blog and those that, you know, ask me a lot of questions are those who really want to get into the more scientific sides of things. And, uh, you know, I say it all the time, you know, the science comes before the spooky in my world. But there's also been situations over the years that, you know, even though I've conferred with those in my network of those with, um, 
the advanced college degrees or subject matter specialists that they could not come up with an answer for questions that I was asking them. So I can say there's been things over the years that just made me my head spin, you know, things I cannot come up with science answers to. But in general, I enjoy being able to what's commonly used as a term is debunking. For me, it's not exactly debunking. It's uh, explaining what it can with science. And although 99.5% of the time I can probably explain something with science, I enjoy um, being able to explain something with science just as much as not being able to. You know, you get that, that spookiness that does show up once in a while. And, um, you know, I equate that same level of enjoyment to being able to, to uh, do something with science. You know, you, you mentioned your podcast. Um, how long have you been doing it? Uh, just about a year. And I actually took a hiatus for a bit earlier this year. I had, like I said, I, I was retired and I was bored. Um, I had been looking for a part-time job and not needing to work. I was being really picky. And a situation occurred where I'm actually a bodybuilder. I have been for 30 years. Not like, you know, not, you know competitive, just natural bodybuilding. It's for my own enjoyment. And a local gym um, that I had worked out at, uh, the manager told me that he had started his own business as a side hustle and it was becoming um, solvent so he could make a living off of it. And he's like, hey, dude, you've been looking for a job. This is perfect. It's part time. You know, it's a 501c7 profit. So I met with the board and uh, it was a good fit for me. It was a good fit for them. So they were going through a really rough time. Um, they were really short staff, you know, when COVID had happened. So they had lost a lot of money because they were forced to close by the state. So a lot of my time went to that. So I took a hiatus from the podcast so I could put all my effort into that. But I picked it up again um, quite recently, actually. I think I've done three to four episodes, but I'm putting them out weekly right now. Where can people find these podcasts? Um, it's pretty much on every podcast network on the planet. Yeah, I've spent a great deal of time trying to input it everywhere. But you can find the hub at mwvspirit.com. My group's called Mount Washington Valley Spirit. Spirit being an acronym for Scientific Paranormal Investigation Research and Interpretation Team. But at mwvspirit.com, you'll clearly see in the menu the link to the blog and the podcast. All right. Well, I'll make sure, folks, if you didn't catch that, I'll make sure that it's attached to this page <clears throat> where you're watching this program so you can go right to it. And I, I'm, I'm planning to go check it out. So maybe you should, too, especially if you're interested in that sort of thing. I know I'll be sharing it with my daughter, Christy, and you guys know or probably do. Don't I don't know if you know or not, but she's she's very interested in this subject as well, being a paranormal investigator in her own right. And very much like Eric, so she'll love it. Um, so you were talking about um, when you are looking into these things, some people might consider you to be a debunker. But, you know, of course, this is my opinion only, but I, I think if you come up with a rationale as to why something happened, just because it doesn't fit into the spooky paranormal doesn't mean you're debunking it. You're a scientist coming up with details that explain further. Um, and so it's short-sightedness and people would say that sort of thing. But how about some of the things that you have looked into, you know, uh, across the spectrum? Is there anything... How about this? Is there anything that you have experienced that just blew your socks off and you just threw up your hands and go, I don't know what the hell this is, but it can't be explained. The one that stands out more than anything, and I think I mentioned to you when we were talking previously, I was at one of those Ghost Hunters, Ghost Hunters International events, and I was in a room and with Barry Fitzgerald and Chris Williams. I think Chris actually stepped out to go to another team. So it was just Barry and I, and we started having um, a session on teaching people, you know, the various tactics used when they're trying to communicate with what is perceived to be, you know, a deceased entity of some form. Then out of nowhere, we started getting this raspy response. And of course, we thought maybe someone was playing games, maybe someone, you know, was in the next room with a walkie-talkie or a voice changer. Be darned if we could figure out where it was coming from. No, we're probably you're you're hearing this. You're hearing this. What, what are you yes. listening to it on? 
Well, you, you could hear it. It was a DVP, a direct voice phenomenon. It was just in the air. Some, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh. And being the most skeptic person that you'll ever come across, I'm like the Dana Scully. You know, it's like I've seen things I can't deny, but I'm going to science the heck out of stuff. Wow. So Barry and I, this went on for probably at least 10 minutes. Wow. And it was not like an in-depth conversation. There were very short, raspy answers. But I scienced the heck out of it. There was no interference with people in the room. There wasn't any tech involved. And, you know, to this day, I still can't explain what happened. You know, and I still, I, I still try, and I can't. And there's not many times where I can honestly say that. And I know for some people, they're like, ah, that didn't happen. Ask Barry Fitzgerald. He was there. It happened. It was the darndest thing. And I've, I've had potential EVP over the years, potential DVP, but nothing like this. I mean, this was just too obvious. And like I said, we did everything we could to try and explain it. And I continued quite some time afterwards going over evidence, um, asked some people um, various questions, searched the heck out of the room after the event was over, looking for any kind of tech, you know, uh, seeing if there was anyone who could have been like ventriloquism throwing their voice. None of it. There was none of that going on. And to this day, I, I don't know. It's like part of me. It's like it, it's, it's definitely paranormal, but there's still part of me that wants to science the heck out of it even more. Sure. I've, I've reached a I've reached a dead end. I can't. I've I've done everything I could think of scientifically and I can't explain it. So you're in a room full. How many people were in this room? If I remember correctly, I'm gonna guesstimate uh probably about fifteen. And they all heard this. Yes. And they're sitting there going, What the hell is that? Some people ran out scared. And others thought we had staged the whole thing. And obviously, you know, Barry is a type like me. He He's very honest, huge on integrity. And, you know, Barry Fitzgerald is not going to, you know, uh, risk his integrity, you know, to stir up some, you know, enjoyment for some of these members. You know, he, he's huge on uh, maintaining his reputation. But some people were literally running out scared and others were just like godsmacked. I mean, some people are just sitting there looking like a deer in headlights. And I think to some extent I was, too. You know, usually, you know, being someone who can scientifically explain something, then realizing I couldn't. It was one heck of an experience that I'll never forget. Couldn't duplicate it. I've tried over the years various things to try and duplicate it, and I couldn't. So, And I reported I reported it to the person who uh, ran the place. This was actually the uh, Rolling Hills Asylum in uh, New York. And uh, they haven't been able to uh, reproduce it either. Okay, so... How big is this room? That's going way back. Um, it was, I'm going to guesstimate maybe uh, 500 plus square feet. All right. It's not huge. No. Did you move around the room while you were hearing this? No, actually, uh, I was sitting on the floor. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I, I believe Barry was sitting or standing over on one side of the room, but I was kind of in the middle of the room um, with everyone in front of me, almost like a classroom. Got it. You okay. know, and Barry's looking around and I'm looking around, making sure that there's, you know, no one throwing their voice. And we're look, you know, afterwards, we're looking around for any tech and you could see where everyone's hands were. And it wasn't coming from like one specific direction. If it was coming from one person, you know, sitting over here, you're going to notice that. Sure. But but the sound was coming from in front of me. But it wasn't the classroom. It was almost like it was someone sitting next to me. And after it was over, Barry and I were just like. Wow. We didn't know what to make of it. But he, he's done a lot more investigations than I have in some more um, interesting spots. You know, he, he's from over there in uh, Europe. And he, he's notorious for investigating these old castles. Um, and sure, yeah. uh, he, he's had many, many, many more experiences than I ever have. So to him, it's a little more commonplace. Mm hmm. But for me, who's always done investigating stateside, this, this this situation, like I've said, it's been over a decade, and I still, I, I, it's one of the few times I've been left speechless, and I'm someone who talks a lot. 
Well, yeah, I think, uh, and I've had a similar experience. I told you about that last night. We were talking. It just you just sit back and go, I don't know what the hell that was. Mm-hmm. You know, for you who are wondering, I'm talking about folks. I'm talking about that <clears throat> that uh, voice that said Pete when Kathy and I were shooting a promo in the Good Enough Mine in Tombstone, Arizona. Uh, if you haven't seen that, you can go to jerrywills.com and look under special broadcasts. You'll find it there. Um, was this during the day or the night? This was definitely after dark. Okay. Um, being the Ghost Hunters, Ghost Hunters International, they want that spooky, you know, motif going. So they did uh, most of their investigations at night. But as you know, being a paranormal investigator uh, yourself, you don't always have to investigate at night. You know, yeah. that. Uh, granted, it does help with certain things, um, less interference coming from like local construction and radiation from the sun, which can affect equipment. And um, but typically you do it in the evening. And the funny thing is, is that wasn't the end of it. Oh, um, well, a- do after that, yeah, I didn't tell you completely about this part. So I. That was, I believe, the last night there. So I made the trek home the next day, and I didn't feel quite right. I figured it was just exhaustion and then excitement, you know, and um, basically what had happened um, was affecting me physically. I didn't think too much of it. About a day later, I was hanging out with a young lady friend of mine, um, went to go visit her her house. Um, We were walking around talking outside. And she asked me, who's so-and-so? And And it was this name. And honestly, I've lost the name over the years. Maybe she'd remember. And I said, where did you get that name? And um, she's like, well, I'm getting this energy off of you. She's very intuitive. Um, I'm not. And anyway, she she brought this name. I was like, that's the name of this entity we were speaking with, you know, with Barry Fitzgerald. And... She goes, it's with you, or at least some energy of it's with you. And, you know, I've always been skeptic over that sort of thing, being able to bring something home. I'm one of those people where if if I didn't see it, I don't believe it. Right. You know, and so I did, we did this meditation session so I could kind of clear my mind and, you know, Reiki practitioners will understand and people who meditate that, you know, you can kind of, clean your own energy, kind of push any anything that you feel around you away. And after that, it disappeared. But, you know, if it was if she hadn't come up with that name, I would have just written it off. And I'm sorry, I don't remember the name. It's been so many years. Um, but uh, well, that, whatever that... it was, there was some residual energy from it that's attached to me. I don't know. I, I can't explain it scientifically. I just know well, that this whole scenario occurred, and I'll probably spend the rest of my life trying to figure out how and why, and I'm not sure I'll ever be able to. Well, that that brings up another question I didn't think to ask. What did this voice say? It was just a very basic general conversation. Like We were asking questions on who it was, where it was from. And like I said, a lot of the answers were almost like forced raspy, like it was having difficulty. But I wish I could remember the name. I'm sorry, I can't think of the name. But it was basically what seemed to be something that wasn't, or someone that wasn't attached to the asylum itself, but something that had resided in the area and was almost attached to it um, from long ago and um we i you know it's been so many years and i I kicking myself for not taking better notes back then um but barry and i were discussing this situation uh, on another show very recently and he still he throws his arms up he doesn't know wow isn't that something well i would would say if you're gonna have a pinnacle of an experience well that's certainly going to be right there in the top five most likely Oh, God. I mean, I've had nothing remotely like it. You know, you know, sometimes there, there's uh, there's something called apophenia. It's synchronicity. It's where you're piecing together, you know, A, B and C to make D, big, which seems bigger than A, B and C as if they were all combined. Right. And at first I thought that's exactly what I was doing, you know, trying to be the scientific mind, you know, trying to explain everything. And the more I talked about it over the years, you know, it's. 
it wasn't me, you know, it wasn't epiphania. It wasn't me, you know, piecing together irrelevant situations to make a bigger picture. I mean, this, this happened mm -hmm. and it's not something I typically speak about in, um, public because people are going to think you're nuts. Um, I've, I've gotten that before when I used to try and speak about it when I was much younger, you know, but this type of audience, you know, for your show and people involved with the field can a little more open-minded and, you know, the less apt to just write you off as just being crazy, but it, it, it well, has, true. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I don't know how to describe what scientifically could have occurred, but all I know is, is it happened, man. And I, it is very, I have almost no stories like this. Because I'm I'm a science person, you know I science the heck out of things, and I science is good. Yeah, well, I've I've had a few. Are you familiar with the um, of the Navajo Rangers? From, I've heard of them. Yes, I'm not overly familiar with um, them okay. as a whole, though. I I should send you um, a link to a video. It's about three hours long. Had a interview with them. <clears throat> these guys are uh, more of a skeptic than you are. They're police officers. Um, and for you in the members area, I'm curious, just look for Navajo Rangers. It's a, it's a hell of an interview, really epic. Well, I was, I was talking to these boys. Uh, there was a special unit formed by the Navajo Nation uh, police. And it was to investigate the paranormal because there was a lot of paranormal that was going on. There, there's a lot of material there. I'm not going to go through all of it. I just want to hit this one high point that I think you'll find interesting. Um, <clears throat> I think it was, well, their name is John and Stan. I forget which one it was. There was this event in this historic building on the Navajo Reservation, which is just north of here, north of, you know, north um, eastern Arizona, they were called in because of strange anomalous things happening. So they spent the whole night there. During that experience, a lot of strange things happened. But the strangest was that there were coins that were just started hitting them, old coins. And they were just falling, just materializing and falling out of the air. So they're pretty freaked out by it. They did their report. It's like, yeah, that's, that's, there's something going on there for sure. And in their culture, they'll call the medicine man, one of their shaman, to come in and try to do something. As I recall, that didn't really work. Anyway, I think it was Stan that went home and he's in the kitchen fixing something to eat brewing up some coffee, and he's um, suddenly hit by a coin. And next thing you know, there's all these coins just falling out of the air towards him, just hitting him. And he had the coins to show. I mean, in that program, they'll send to you, you'll see it. The, the coins, well, this followed him around for quite some time. And so when you're making mention that's what brought it up. As you mentioned, you met up with your friend who was intuitive and had a name for you. Um, I've never given much thought to things following you home. But, and now here are two stories that I've spoken to the people who had it happen. It's nothing to discount. Um, there's probably more people out there than just you and Stan. Stanley, uh, but for me, I have not had that experience. So it's purely, you know, a, a piece of information just sort of file away and wonder about. But when it happens to you, it's, it's a big deal. And you can't help but wonder. When you uh, had gone, you said you were feeling off. Was there anything paranormal that happened around you between the time um, leaving there to the time that you started doing your meditations to clear your energy? No, that's the thing. Um, I didn't notice anything like that, you know, no lapses in memory or anything like that. I just, I've always been a very energetic hyper person and, and I wasn't that day. And like I said, I attributed it to 
having stayed up late for a couple of nights and the sure. long drive because it was it was must have been an eight hour drive. And I'm not always particularly fond of long drives since I'm oh. full of energy. And um, but I just remember feeling I don't want to call it depressed, almost. I want to say it was almost like I was in a thick cloud, if that makes any sense. Kind of foggy. Yeah, it's not like something was surrounding me. It's almost like being in a room with very high humidity, but it wasn't humid. It was cold. You know, so it was like <laughs> just at the tail end of winter, I believe. And it, I just felt like I was almost like in a physical fog, not a mental one. I had the mental clarity, but I just almost felt like there was a stickness around me. And I don't know any other scientific way to explain it other than it sure. felt like heavy humidity, as if you've been on top of a mountain and the cloud passes over you. It was something similar. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, you know, it was exhaustion. I'd sleep it off for a couple of days. But then, you know, I'd, you know, gone and hang, hung out with my uh my uh, friend there and she literally just came out and she goes who's so-and-so and And honestly i'm sorry i don't remember the name and my jaw dropped because that was the name that came up during the the whole situation that barry Fitzgerald was at and um i hadn't told anybody you know other than uh my uh you know the people that were in that room that day were the only ones i actually had spoken with so i was Gosmack, I'm like, I remember saying, was there a report online? Did someone post something online that you saw? And she goes, no, what are you talking about? This is just something I feel that's, you know, with you right now. And I'm like, oh, God. Wow. So there may be, you know, a chance that what I've kind of completely ignored all these years is being feasible because it hadn't happened to me. Had, well, damn, it finally happened to me. Yeah. You know? But the, medi- the, the meditation session, and you know, she talked me through it. And I've always done meditation, but not typically guided. Um, but after this event, I actually started taking classes in uh, guided meditation. Um, so I could have a better um, skill set to react to it, either if it ever happened again or if it happened to someone else. And like I said, I can't explain it. I wish I could. You know, it, the scientists in me is just sitting there, you know, like a hamster on a wheel trying to figure this whole thing out. Oh, I know what it feels like. Yeah. Your your brain, my brain's wired that way. You know, a lot of people are able just to accept things for face value. I'm not that, I'm not that guy, you know, unless it's, uh, you know, like a scientifically proven, but, you know, it's something that, you know, it's just a story. I don't have you know, anyone's word except Barry's that, you know, this had happened and anyone who in that room, but obviously I don't keep in contact with any of them. I couldn't tell you about, I'm sure some of them have a recording of it somewhere. You know, there's 15 people in there and almost everyone had voice recorders or K2 meters. So there's gotta be someone who has a recording of this. So if you're watching, please get hold of me. Um, Yeah, no kidding. Well, maybe I should just put this out in the public domain so everyone can see it and then they can contact you if they have that. And you can let us know. I'd be interested in knowing more about those. I'm sure Barry would love to hear it, too. You know, but this was over at the Rolling Hills Asylum in New York, probably. God, it's a 10, 11, even 12 years ago. Um, If someone has it from that room has that and is watching this, it means please, Barry and I would love to to have a recording of this and everything I was doing back then, I didn't think, you know, that anything was going to happen being the science guy. So I didn't have anything recording to, to, to document any of this, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, so it's, it's just, just one story out of many. I, I've been there many times, you know, you just don't have the machinery running that, um, or even have it with you <clears throat> that one time in, um, the mine, uh, good enough mine and tombstone. Of course, sitting there doing a video shoot and the machinery's running. I've been thinking off and on for weeks now since it happened um, to set up a recorder down there and just record to see what we get. There's a story about that mine that the fellow who runs it, he relates. Uh, If you look at the interview folks, for interview with, um, I've forgotten his name, Robert, I think, um, good enough mine. He tells a hell of a nice ghost story. It's absolutely spectacular. And I was thinking, oh, you set up a recorder down there. I wonder what that would deliver for us. So, okay. So that was profound. 
That was really, really, really interesting. I can tell you now, though, I carry, uh, anytime I do anything, I have a really uh, expensive uh, audio recorder that comes with me. And as you know, um, a lot of these uh, cheaper ones, or even some of the nicer ones, they use a type of, uh, they can have condenser mics or dynamic mics, mm -hmm. um, what's called MEMS. It's uh, kind of like a, a micro um, electrical mic, similar to what's there in cell phones and these small devices. Right. Unfortunately, for a lot of them, there is um, the uh, high probability of RFI radio interference. Yeah. Um, so I typically bring a Faraday bag with mine. Um, you know, a Faraday bag, like for those who don't know, it's often used in homes. People will put them over their Wi-Fi to lower the amount of radiation exposure. But basically what it does is these things block out about 95% of the RFI. So putting that over an audio recorder will help negate any possible interference from local radio signals. Um, it doesn't even have to be local. There's a phenomenon known as ionosphere radio wave propagation. Basically the ionosphere about 60 miles up in the atmosphere during the day and even at night um, it gets uh, due to solar flares that uh, the uh, protons separate from the electrons and it basically becomes a mirror to radio signals. Um, and it's part of a radio communications hobby. It's why at night you can be on one side of the country and hear AM radio from another side of the country. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I've even had situations where um, I was able to show that ionospheric radio propagation, which um, the audio being heard on a voice recorder. You know, um, I was able to uh, download something and amplify it. And it turns out it was a ham radio operator. Uh, something, if I remember correctly, for this case, it was like 1,500 miles away. Wow. And somehow this audio recorder picked it up. But needless to say is now anytime I do anything remotely related to this field, I have an audio recorder, a Faraday bag. And I also have um, what's called a binaural microphone. It's literally shaped like two human ears. But the point of it is, is this thing picks up audio as you or I would pick it up versus the the, the way um, a microphone typically picks something up. So the way we hear things is the way this is recorded. And as I'm sure you're, you've experienced over the years, you'll hear something one way and the digital recorder picks it up differently. Yeah. Um, due to the mechanics. So here I walk around when I do this stuff with a voice recorder that's pretty hefty. It's like half of a brick. You know, it's it's basically meant for hooking up to um, audio equipment to like musicians to record sound. You can hook up instruments to this thing. And a binaural microphone, which is about twice as big. Um, but I want to be sure if something happens again, and honestly, I haven't had anything remotely like what had happened to happen again. But if it does, I want to catch this time. Yeah, I was looking at one um, <clears throat> made by Zoom. It's a VR. No, no, is it VR? I don't remember. But anyway, it captures 360. Mm -hmm. And I listened to some of the examples and so forth. If you're making a 360 video, that'd be a hell of a thing to use. But I figured, you know, picking up 360, it's made by Zoom that in that mine, well, I mean, it tells you what direction it came from. It isn't just like, you know, one or two files. It's, you know, a series of files. You can actually get direction and movement from that. And I thought, yeah, you know, I should probably get that and try it. It was about 250 bucks. Uh, but we just ran out of time down there. And I, I think when we go back, we'll probably do something like that to see what we pick up. Because there's a lot of places, apparently, one of the most haunted places in Tombstone is uh, the Birdcage Theater. Um, and I think ghost hunters went in there. A number of people have. And they <laughs> they picked up all kinds of stuff. Uh, what about physical apparitions? Have you seen anything like that? Nothing that I could not somehow explain with science and i can't say there were a couple times where more likely than not i saw one but being the science mind um i always try and come up with a scientific explanation for it um there was another event um 
Barry Fitzgerald and I were doing an experiment. There's been some theories that using um, light just off, uh, just into the near infrared spectrum in a flashing pattern um, has been shown to increase the possibility of you know, perceptual paranormal activity. And with my mind, you know, being scientific, I'm like, well, that can cause some interesting things to your, to your sight if you're blinking red lights. Yeah. But I remember in one particular event, we had these people lining up and down the hallway. It's maybe about 12 of us. And this was at the Rolling Hills Asylum too. And we had people lined up and down this hallway and we're flashing these lights. And people start saying they're seeing things and we're double checking. And usually there was nothing there. But I remember there was this one particular situation where someone's pointing and a couple more people walk over. Then I walk over and sure as day, there was something there. Um, it wasn't clear as day. You know, could it have been some sort of group um, pareidolia where we were matrixing something? Mm -hmm. But, it, it, you know, as soon as I got there, within a couple seconds, it was gone. It could it have been just the way the red lights had been flashing off of something and it just caught us the right way from a certain angle. Unfortunately, we weren't able to reproduce it. Um, so I kind of have that chalked off too. on could it go either way. There's plenty of scientific explanations, but trying to recreate it, I couldn't recreate it. Oh, interesting. Using the, using the same methods. You know, so that's one of the few times where I could say I saw something, you know, when I was younger, you know, like I was saying earlier, I would matrix stuff. So sometimes that like a daydream, it almost seems real. So there's been a couple situations over the years where I, you know, I believe I'm daydreaming, but I'm not because I'm standing up and I'm walking around as crazy as that sounds. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, right. Many, many years ago, I used to promote professional wrestling shows, and I used to be, uh, never was professional wrestler. You know, I did it, but I never got anywhere with it because I had uh, physical injuries. And we were promoting event at the Palladium in Worcester, Massachusetts. This is probably somewhere around year 2000, 2001, maybe. And I was actually refereeing a, a particular match. And I remember being in the ring and seeing something out of the corner of my eye. And that's, I know that's how all of it starts with a lot of these stories, you know, peripheral drift illusion, you know, and all these other phenomenon where, you know, you see things out of the corner of your eye and it's literally almost not a hallucination, but a misinterpretation. And I remember freezing during the match because I see this thing and I'm looking at it and it's a, it was at the end of the stage. And it was, I don't want to call it a shadow. It was... And it's not like a cloud either. It was just like this patch of dark, not like black dark, but darker than the surrounding light, almost like there was something there absorbing a portion of the light. Right. I'm not saying evil or anything like that, just something that was absorbing part of the light. And at first I thought it was matrixing. And I, I it must have only been like 10 seconds. And the 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 wrestler in the corner, because it was a tag team match, is like extreme, extreme, you know, because... I wasn't paying attention to the match and we were in front of like 700 people who were watching the show and he looks over what I'm looking at and he looks back at me. I think he got a glimpse of it um, just because of the way he looked back at me after he looked at it. But then as quick as that happened, it was gone. You know, after the event, I looked around to try and explain this. Could it have been some sort of weird bit of humidity that came out of one of the vents and was just kind of due to air pressure was just hovering there and the way it was reflecting light maybe i don't know i wasn't able to reproduce it was there an entity because this ghost hunters has um uh, investigated there before um as have other groups and there's a lot of stories um from reputable people that have come out of there the place has uh, quite the history so did i experience something maybe being someone who of a science mind, I'm not exactly willing to say without a doubt, yes, it was paranormal because there's always in the back of my mind, you know, I have a lot more technology now than I had back then. What if I had it back then? What if I had my atmospheric sensors? What if I had um, my uh, gas detectors? Maybe it was some sort of exhaust out of something, you know, one of the motors from the, you know, that controls uh, the lights or something. I don't know. Sure. But that's another one of my few situations where 
I just don't know. But I'm like I said, it's hard for me just to say paranormal with the science mind. I can't. But part of me is like, yeah, there was something there. Wow, that's if that makes sense to you. Yeah, it does make sense. You know, I I, I saw something. I'd like to get your opinion on it if you don't mind. <clears throat> Again, it's back in Tombstone, and we'd only been there for 24 hours. Went down to a restaurant called the Longhorn. Um, it's, you know, it's one of those places there. It's Western-themed. Apparently, this place had burned to the ground a couple times, been rebuilt. People died in the fire. Men, women, children, who knows? Animals, I suppose. Anyway... Um, you know, in the morning, well, for me anyway, maybe for some of you watching as well, having a cup of coffee, get your brain engaged and running, <laughs> it's a good thing. And we get to this restaurant, we're set over here in this one little spot, and where we are, looking straight forward, we're looking towards the far in the distance, you know, probably 40 feet away, the, the front windows of the place, waitresses are coming and going. And right directly in front of us, I mean, literally on the other side, Kathy had her back to this. Uh, right behind Kathy was the waitress station where they had all the booze on one side, walkway. On the right side was the ice machines and the drink soda fountain machines and all that. So I'm sitting there just sort of like Megos, you know, like your eyes are glazed over. Just sort of staring, waiting for my coffee. When... Just as I'm looking, those metal tongs, you know, they have these metal tongs. They're about, I don't know, about, well, you can't see. But they're, they're about, I don't know, 15 inches long. Um, silvery, spring-loaded. The metal tongs were sitting in the sink at an angle. They lifted the hell up out of the sink floated over about a foot, foot and a half, and then just dropped. And I'm sitting there, I see this, it's like, what the hell? There's nobody around. So I, I look again, and then I see there's this little boy, probably eight, nine years old, dressed like a ragamuffin, little weird little beret hat on his head, He's from the side of his chest over, is leaning over. He's looking right at me from the opposite end of the waitress station. And he just looks at me and laughs. I didn't hear anything. And he dodges back. And there's nowhere for him to go. If he went off to my right, I had a clear view of that. He'd have to go around a table. You'd, you'd see him. I didn't see him. So <laughs> I told Kathy, and by this time, one of the um, the wait staff walks up, a guy, picks it up, throws it back in the sink, shakes his head, and walks off. And I, the waitress came with my coffee. And I said, let me ask you a question. Um, this is what I saw, and I told her. I said, what? is the story here? And she said, oh, you must have seen Billy. He's a little boy that's running around here. He, he does pranks like that. And I said, well, I, did, I don't know where he went. She says, no, he's a ghost. So I talked to the guy that picked up the tongs. Says, oh, I've got to pick these up, you know, two or three times a week that happens. Why, did you see something? I, I told him what I saw. He goes, oh, that was Billy. He says, if you stay here long enough and keep watching, there's an older lady who sits right up there at that table. You usually see her late at night. She's sometimes sitting in here when we open up. And then she's just gone. She'll just look at you, and then she just fades away. Well, I was pretty blown away by that piece of information. We went back many times. I never saw anything like it again. But have you ever heard of anything like this? Nothing substantiated. Um, you know, you hear stories, but anything like that, no. I mean, the scientific gears in my mind are running, like what could have, 
scientifically cause, you know, say there wasn't, you know, uh, some sort of entity involved, you know, what could cause the tongs to lift like that? And the only thing I can come up with is, you know, multiple things. Um, A, if it was staged, I'm not saying that they did, but, you know, there's been investigations that actually caught on TV where places have been caught staging things to drum up business. Um, you know, if the only other things that could really cause it would be at a large electromagnet. And I can't fathom that they had anything there with a large electromagnet in it. Um, and the third thing is, and it's very almost rare, um, you hear some uh, weird anom anomalies that happens with the Earth's magnetic field, where there's almost like a, a hiccup or a glitch that can, you know, um, cause an issue like that, but not to that extent where it's going to hover and move like that. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I thought the same things. And uh, the spoons would have moved. Mm -hmm. you know, if it was electromagnetic or Earth-based Earth anomaly. As far as staged, um, I was eight feet from this. And I inspected the tongs. There was There's nothing connected to the damn thing. I mean, it, it, it's really one, it's kind of like your, your disembodied voice. Mm -hmm. um, you experience it, you're just going, oh, what the hell? And it's just, it's just strange, very strange. Um, if there was an electromagnet strong enough, there would have been other signs. Like you said, it would have moved the spoons. Um, and typically an electromagnetic uh, magnet strong enough to lift tongs like that it's going to need an active electrical source, and you're going to hear it. Oh, make know. a hum. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah know. Exactly. I've built them before. Okay, well, I just wanted to pass that by you to see if you had any opinions, what, what your thoughts might be, because it, it, it remains like that voice in the mind. It remains one of those strange things that I just, I, I can't rationalize what the hell it is that I just experienced. It is very, very interesting you know, always in the back of my mind, it is 2022, you know, our science has come a long way in the recent, you know, especially the last century. Are there forms, uh, are there various levels of science that our uh, society doesn't understand yet? Of course, maybe that'll explain some things as time goes on of what we're experiencing now. But I can't think of anything remotely or even theoretical that would explain the tongue's moving that way on a scientific basis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me either. I, I tried to approach it from that perspective. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> all right, someone's screwing with us. You know, kind of like the same with that voice. You know, was, mm -hmm. uh, there there was no one around. Um, we're coming up on uh, an hour. Um, so when we come back. Probably be kind of fun to. Whoops, what is that? Is something happened. Sorry, a spooky ghost. Yeah, it's a spooky <laughs> ghost. Um, anyway, when we come back, why don't we go a little bit deeper and see what else there is to talk about as far as experiences that haven't been explainable. But I'd also like to go into some experiences um, that have been explained, that no one caught, that, that you really nailed it. And mm -hmm. then maybe uh, talk about some of the equipment that you use as well. Absolutely. And, you know, let's go from there. I'm just uh, quickly trying to see what the hell happened there when I just did that. Oh, it's I Billy. See. Yeah, it's it's Billy. And now we know what this is, the rest of the story. Yeah. All right. I think it'll work right this time. All right, folks. We are going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking to Eric Extreme. Um, about a, a number of things. We're going to talk about things that he's investigated, that he figured things out about, and the equipment that he uses. So, please just stay with us, and we'll be right back right after this. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave us a comment. 
Subscriptions and your comments cost nothing, but it really helps us out a lot. To hear the entire interview you were just listening to, and many, many other amazing interviews within our archives, please visit jerrywillshow.com and become a member. Your membership supports our ongoing broadcasts. That's jerrywillshow.com. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this program.